0: And welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, Firstly, apologies to all our avid listeners. We haven't really been podcasting that much for the last few weeks. Um, A few of us have been a bit sick, (laughs) haven't been able to go out and watch movies and TV series, etc. So yeah, sorry for the silence, but we're back now. And this week we are going to talk about Homecoming, um, a show that got quite a lot of publicity um like it's on amazon prime it's on the amazon streaming service um it's got julia roberts which is a fairly big name um and it was it's it's a show that was originally based on a podcast um which was which is different i guess um tonight i'm joined by my usual crew of anna gerald and maggie say hello everybody
1: hello hi
0: Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, yeah, we we probably watched, as a group, we probably watched Homecoming a week and a half, two weeks ago. So, um, it's not super fresh in our minds, but I, I, I thought that we should get together and have a chat about it, because it is a series that has got quite good press. Jerry, would you agree that it's got good press, or, like, at least... Yes,
2: it has it is, it is received... Inexplicably good press. Okay, so
0: immediately Gerald has let the cat out of the bag again.
3: Gerald. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, I spoiler guess spoiler alert, it's sad. <laughs> <sun. laughs> so yeah, I, I, I guess tonight we kind of want to have a discussion about homecoming. We want to like we'll get put forward our views on it. it I think our views are generally going to be a little bit contrarian, um, and also probably have a chat about maybe, like, ruminate why it is that a show like this got such immensely good press, um, even though we didn't necessarily understand why. So, um, let's just get straight into it. Um, okay, why don't I start with just a quick overview of what Home Homecoming is actually about. So, Homecoming is, uh, it's basically a story that's told in this sort of mix of Flash forward and flashback. There's kind of like it starts with these two different timelines. And you meet Julia Roberts who plays a lady called Heidi Bergman. And she is like she basically works at this sort of government or like sort of it's a facility. It's kind of unclear whether it's funded by the government or a private contractor, or at least it's a private contractor that wants to get a government contract. And in this facility there are all these veterans that have come back from Afghanistan or Iraq and um basically, they are put through this program called the Homecoming Program. Um, it's supposed to help them readjust back into life as a civilian. So we meet Heidi, who basically runs the facility, and we meet Walter Cruz, who is this young soldier who's come back, and there's so, 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 sort of, some sort of chemistry between Walter Cruz and Heidi. We also meet kind of... Um, this guy called Colin Belfast, who is Heidi's boss, and Colin Belfast is this sort of corporate guy. He's desperately, basically, we find out very early that there is some sort of experiment or some sort of, um, yeah, there's, there's some sort of experiment going on at the homecoming facility. At in this program, we're not quite sure what it is, um, but we know that Colin is really pushing Heidi to get results. So we join Walter and Heidi as they sort of go through this program. And as the program continues, Colin gets more and more, sort of presses Heidi more and more to get results, right? Like to, you know, up the dosage to kind of, um, and also obviously Colin doesn't really see the, the patients as sort of patients. He sees them as sort of. Um, I guess test subjects that he needs to get results out of so he can report back to his boss and get the government contract right it essentially I think it anyway so the whole
3: patient care, is, patient care is not the first priority
0: absolutely or
3: a priority at all
0: <laughs> absolutely and I guess in throughout this series so there's, there's this, this, this story of the homecoming experiment is happening in the past, and then we also flash forward to the future, we find out basically that Heidi in the future is working at a diner, she basically, she's, um, we meet this sort of, um, Department of Defense caseworker, um, he is a guy called Thomas Carrasco, and he basically is investigating Homecoming because in the future we learn that there was a report that was filed, um, about... Uh, Walter Cruz at the homecoming facility um, and he did something bad. I think it was like violence or something like that. And um, he's trying to investigate what happened, right? So he is investigating this in the future. He meets Heidi. He's trying to understand what is happening um, at the homecoming facility. But Heidi seems to have forgotten everything. So this is the central thriller that's kind of in this homecoming thing. Like what happened? What is actually this... Experiment that is going on, and why is it that Heidi has lost her memory? And I mean, I w- yeah, I think that's that's really the central premise of of Homecoming, right? Um, mm-hmm. Do you guys want to spoil it? <laughs> should we just? Yeah. Should we just? Yeah. Do you want to do you want to do the honors, Andrew, and do you want to spoil it?
3: <laughs> oh, so the central premise is that even though the homecoming program is set up as basically group and individual therapy to help um, smooth the soldiers' transition, what they're actually doing is feeding the soldiers a drug through their meals and um, the drug is leading to memory loss And somehow it is specifically wiping memories related to wartime trauma so that these soldiers will willingly go back to war, back to active duty rather than retiring into the civilian sort of sector, I think. Mm. So that is the da-da-da-da.
0: Yeah. And and I I think it's also implied (laughs) that the drug is wiping out more than just the trauma. Like, a lot of anything that's kind of associated with the trauma is just kind of wiped out, right? And people... So yeah. Like that the, whole
3: time period is being sort of wiped. Yeah. It's, it's, it's being wiped so that it, it just fades into this one long day where nothing really that much happened.
0: Yeah. But then, I mean, in the case of Heidi, she actually forgets. She, she physically forgets Everything that happened in the year that she Case
3: was. Heidi is completely ridiculous because she, the other soldiers would have had about maybe about a hundred doses, and yes. Heidi has had one, and yeah. she's completely lost her memory. Yeah, yeah. so basically, one like, dose, but still, it was ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is the they're twist, to, right? They try to
2: explain that away by saying that um, all the soldiers were. Sort of given regulated and increasing doses leading up to week six, whereas Julia Roberts has a has a week six dose. Uh, and somehow that's have to that's meant to have a more adverse impact on her memory than if she had been on oh. these slowly
0: regulated doses.
3: Oh, because she had it oh. like advertised to it. Okay, gotcha.
0: Yeah. Okay. So anyway, after that long-winded explanation of what, lo, lo, what Homecoming was actually about. What did you guys think of Homecoming? <laughs> Who wants to shoot first?
3: I thought it was so boring. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> it's shot in a way that reminds me of Hitchcock movies. Does it, Did anyone else get that feel? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I yeah. hated that they did that. Like, I just... Does it have to be that derivative? Like... I know it's nice to sort of borrow from the classics and stuff, but for some reason in this I just hated it because it was just so just copied and it was I really didn't like it. Um, it was so slow-moving. Like, I find that plot twist at the end or that, that sort of the the secret to what was going on you know, so uninteresting. Like, <laughs> I, I just get the two pairs kind of outcome from it and i think the reason why it is so it, it does have such high critical acclaim is because su- supposedly perhaps and i'm only guessing that maybe we're supposed to think that it raises a really intelligent and creepy and dark question of whether it's okay to wipe out memories if it's for the greater good if the national service benefits from it Do maybe the soldiers themselves potentially benefit from it, or is it completely unacceptable? Maybe the reason it's got all this acclaim is because it raises that issue, but for some reason, and I don't know if it's because I felt like I was being punished watching this (laughs) series until I got to that end, it just didn't have any impact on me at all. Like I just couldn't care less about it, which is... Odd, because I usually love this kind of genre, and I love having questions like that thrown at me, and I do care about those types of issues. But in this se- series, I just, I just didn't.
0: Mm. What did you guys? Okay, so what, what did I go next, right? Like I, I look, I, 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 think I agree with you, Andrew. Like I, it's, it definitely. Okay, so I, I came from from it probably from a slightly different perspective, in the sense that. I had listened. this is based on a podcast, right? So um, this was a podcast that was done by Gimlet Media. It's like this darling of podcasting. Um, And I remember I listened to this podcast when we were on – Mags and I were on a road trip. And it was really riveting as a podcast, right? And then – and and then I watched the TV series. So I, I think there's there's a there's a couple of things to unpack here, right? Like why did it work so well for me as a podcast, but as a TV series, it fell so poor. Felt so poor. And- we
3: would love to know because we, we Gerald and I have not heard the podcast, and we've been asking each other that we are we are really interested to hear what you thought of the podcast.
0: Okay, so look, I mean, wh- why don't we go? So, look, before I get into that, firstly, I absolutely agree with you. I thought it was, like, a really slow-moving TV series. Like, there were multiple times... Like, I I think, basically, as a litmus test of whether a TV series is engaging me or not, if I whip out my phone while I'm watching the series, and, like, you know, it's... Like, so, for example, often Mags and I will binge three or four episodes, and then... Like, we'll give it a rest, and then we'll binge another three or four episodes, right? And, like, there's two litmus tests. One, am I looking at my phone when I'm watching the TV? And secondly, when we want to go back to it, do we actually want to go back to it, or do we switch to something else? and then go back to it out of, like, a sense of obligation, right? And I would say mm-hmm. yes to both of those, right? I was definitely surfing the internet when I was watching this on my phone, which is bad. I mean, I mean, it's not good to be doing multitasking like that, but, I mean, it just shows that, like, from an engagement perspective, it wasn't really that engaging. And secondly, like, I remember we watched the first few episodes, and then I think we actually forgot about it. And then a couple of nights later, we were like, oh yeah, we kind of have to watch Homecoming for the podcast, don't we? It was like like doing your homework, basically, where you kind of put it on to watch it. And it's just because, like... And I think the reason why it was like that was it's just so slow. And it wasn't real. Like, I kind of felt in the TV series, you could tell the twist coming a mile away. And I'm trying to figure out whether it's because I had listened to the podcast. Look, to be honest, I had forgotten what the podcast was about. But... Like, basically, watch, after watching two episodes, like, yeah, I, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on here. Like, I'm pretty sure I remember what's going on here now. And then it just lost all sort, any sense of impact, really, right? Like, any sense of thrill yeah. or mystery or anything like that. And as a result, it was just like this sort of... It felt like this plotting, but really sort of... Like, the way it was filmed was they were trying to do it in like a... So... Look, I haven't watched a whole amount of Hitchcock, but I definitely felt that the way they filmed it was... It reminded me of films from, like, the late 70s, early 80s, right? Like, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, like... You know, I could see a little bit of the cinematography of, like, Kubrick. Like, you know, The Shining. I could see a little bit of, like, Jaws and that sort of... Like, just... And especially the way that... Especially the way they form they filmed the flash-forward scenes, you know, the future scenes where yep. Heidi is in the cafe, mm-hmm. it, working in the diner. It felt like it was, like, out of a late 70s, early 80s film, right? The way it was shot, and I think it was, like, the film was slightly grainier. It was, it, it, I'm not entirely sure what yep. it was, right? But, um, yeah, like... I, I An aspect, aspect ratio. Yeah, and the aspect ratio was narrow, but it wasn't horizontally banded. It was, like, vertically yep. banded, right? So... Um, and not
3: just the cinematography but from the very first second they play ominous music which is also very i think is, is quite incredible.
0: yeah and they and they use that
2: the music very...
0: a, they use music because
2: now i want to go when... back i want to go to the, i want to go back to the music because the music is quite important there's something going on with the music and i'll i'll, I'll let you finish Daz, but there's something quite interesting about the music going on in in the show
0: yeah yeah Really? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I might, I might, I might, I might, do you want me to do you want me to no, go let's, into let's it? Let's do wait. this now, and then we can talk okay. about the podcast stuff. Mags can talk about the podcast stuff as well, right? So, okay. Let's talk about the well, music. And as the I was
2: watching, as I, okay. as I was watching the show, I noticed that I forget which episode it was, but one of the episodes used a piano theme and other themes that were. That I thought sounded familiar, and I thought sounded like they came from a movie from the seventies, a paranoid conspiracy thriller called the parallax view and I thought well that's odd are they are they ripping off music from old thrillers and then about two episodes later there's a scene in which um Thomas Carrasco the character played by Shea Wiggum is sitting at his desk and there's there's this horn theme that's playing in the background as he sort of leans back and decides how he's going to sort of take the next step in investigating the complaint and that horn theme I swear, was the horn theme from a very, very famous scene in All the President's Men as Woodward and Bernstein are sitting under the dome of the Library of Congress going through documents. Mm. So I did a Google search, and sure enough, every episode re- employs like themes from five or six thrillers of the past. A lot of them, some of them Hitchcock, in thr- Hitchcock thrillers, but a lot of them... Um, paranoid thrillers from the 70s like the parallax view like Clute like all the president's men um, and so there is very very conscious um, referencing and allusion to um, particularly the, paranoids, the paranoid thrillers of the 70s uh, so Sam Asmail the, the director of every episode was very very consciously um, alluding to all these thrillers no doubt tr- shooting for the same sort of feel that we got out of them. Um, and so there's so, there's something very deliberate going on with the music. But um, it's now, not;
3: It's just too yes, much. Yes, I agree with that. And it detracts from, from the story. I,
2: right? I don't disagree at all. I think it, it, it does take you out of the if, – particularly if you know these pieces of music, and I did know some of them, it kind of takes you out of the show because the show is already so – Allusive to past styles of filmmaking, particularly thriller filmmaking, and I love '70s thrillers. I think it's a, that that you know that decade gave us was a golden age of Hollywood filmmaking, and particularly a golden age in terms of in terms of conspiracy thrillers and paranoid thrillers. And so, to, if you know these pieces of music, it kind of takes you out of the experience of, of the show because um, these are allusions made. Um, very, very self-consciously, very sort of, very re- in, in a very knowing manner, um, and it really. Uh, and you ask yourself, why exactly are they doing this? I mean, th- there is enough in the cinematography, in the performances, in the weird aspect ratio shifting between the different time frames, to to establish that this is a show that sees itself in the tradition. Of you know three days of the Condor um, and the Parallax View, but uh, to lay on that music as well, you ask yourself, why are they trying so hard? I mean, is there? It, it, it really, it, it seems to suggest a lack of confidence in the in the material in the source material.
0: Well, actually, see, my interpretation of that is different. In that, like, I would say that. I look. Well, I agree with you that they're trying really hard, but I wouldn't say that it's lack of like confidence in the source material. I just feel like they're just trying to be too arty-farty for their own good, right? Like it's it's basically like um, mm. like the director has basically said, "Oh, look! Look at how clever I am! Look at how many references I can put in that only like cinema buffs or cinema like the students will be able to pick up," right? I think it's just really overdone. Like, it, it feels overdone. I'll, I'll give you the one example that bugged me so much, right? So, like, what we've seen in sort of well-made... T- like, so, you know, like, at the end of every episode, they have this cold cut to credits, right? There's, yeah. no, there's no music or whatever it is, right? Now, they've done that in some TV shows to great effect, Right? Like there are mm-hmm. shows like Fargo when sometimes they do that and sometimes they put on the music and it's different, right? So when that sort of cold cut happens and you just have that Red ambient so, sorry Red
3: wedding, on Game... Red wedding on Game of Thrones exactly.
0: Exactly. A great effect. Such great effect. Exactly, right? And then, so it's if effective because it's different,
3: right? The only episode. It is the only episode when they do
0: that. Exactly. While with yeah. this show, every so the first episode you do that and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I guess that's quite impactful. And then they do that every episode, and you think to yourself, like, it just it becomes parody rather just than just, effective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, okay.
1: Well, I was going to say, I think what they were trying to do was differentiate, I mean, we're going to get to the podcast, but I think what they were trying to do is, like, use the, um, the success of the podcast to, um, create almost like a a new arm to the, um, Gimlet media, like, a, a new bow to the Gimlet media, um, bow. Um, string to the Gimlet Media bow. I'm not using mine. <laughs> I'm not speaking properly. Um, and so they are trying to differentiate this um, series from the podcast, but trying to do too many things at once. Um, and so I think rather than kind of, you know, building its own strength, it was, eh, was just picking up on Gerald's point about um, not, you know, weak source material. I think they kind of lost out, actually, on the reason why the podcast was so successful in the first place. They actually lost the meaning of the show itself and the story itself because they were trying to create Gimlet Media as this kind of new type of this, you know, to build its popularity, I suppose. It's, it's hipsteriness. It's cutting edgeness as um, a new kind of production company.
0: Yeah. So Mags, why don't we talk about the podcast, right? So you alluded basically so I mean I mean uh, so Max, why don't you quickly talk to like let us know if you agreed with us and then let's just talk about the podcast, right? Because um, as you said, Gimlet Media is this sort of it's kind of this hipster ish like sort of podcast sort of thing they do, like startup podcast, but then they also basically started doing for lack of a better word, like you know those classical radio shows where you know every radio serials where they tell the story over multiple like radio shows, and it's basically like spoken word theatre, right? Um, so yeah. Anyway, Max, why don't you shoot? Tell us what whether you agree with us in terms of the show, and then why don't we have a quick chat about the the actual podcast and why you think the podcast worked um, over the actual TV show.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I completely agree with all of you. Um, I thought it was really boring. Um, I found the um, – I know they were trying to, you know, create some sort of different effect with um, showing the past in one way and the present in another way. So the present having that sort of grainier view and the framing and then the past in that sort of glossy, um, bright – Colors, the kind of traditional, I suppose, TV kind of view of a of a show, um, mm-hmm. but I found that actually quite grating, um, and I didn't I, I didn't necessarily think that that helped me or created any sort of particular effect for me, except to annoy me. Um, I mm-hmm. really, really liked the casting of um, the guy who played um, the. Uh, no, the complaint handler. Um, oh, Carrasco. Carrasco.
0: Yeah, that oh, guy yeah. was awesome. Shay I I think Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think he was the best out of all of them. And um, for some reason, all the sort of... I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes. The show's got 99% for critics. And they're all lauding Julia Roberts because she is one of the main characters and she's probably, you know, the best paid and most well-known actor, um, actress in that series. But I actually think he was the best... Yeah. Um, out of all of them, and he, his character as well, um, it's, uh, it felt like he actually put thought into um, what could have been a little bit of a bit part or two dimensional um, character. And yeah. I think out of all of the, um, out of all of the characters that came to life on the screen, that one really did. And in some ways, um, it seemed to. I think in comparison to say the podcast where. Um, The character of his character is not as um, important. Um, Funnily, it felt like he played it more faithfully to what the podcast was trying to demonstrate. Um, So I thought that was quite interesting.
0: Mm. It is interesting that you say that because the that character Carrasco is probably he's he's actually a really sympathetic character, right? Like of all the characters in the show, a lot of the characters are not very well. Sort of drawn out, but he is like I'm thinking back, kind of over the show, and his character is actually not not a badly portrayed character. It's an interesting character. He's this guy that kind of works this sort of desk job, this sort of dead end desk job, and he kind of decides that um, he's going to pursue this, even though it's kind of outside of his job description a little bit, right? Like it, it's it's quite like it's kind of like mundanely heroic. In some ways, so, yeah. Um, So, I mean, do you want to talk, like, did you like the podcast, Max, when when we
1: listened to it? I did, I did. And it was um, at that time as well where I was only really starting to get into um, podcasts like Serial and um, there was this other one that we were listening to, which is about mysteries, like day-to-day mysteries.
0: That was also Gimlet Media. That was a mystery show. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. been cancelled yeah. actually. But anyway, <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so it was at that time when I was really slowly, really um, getting into that whole, I guess, um, genre. Um, and they had they also had um, quite well known actors and actresses um, playing the part. So, for example, David Schwimmer he played the character of oh, what's his Colin. name again? Colin. The, Colin, yes. Ah. Played, yeah,
0: yeah. So, and um, um, what's his face? Poe Dameron. Poe Dameron. Yeah, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, Oscar yeah. Isaac was um, Walter Cruz.
1: Walter Cruz. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, I love um, Oscar Isaac. So that was one of the reasons why I listened to the podcast um, and was interested in it. Um, but the way in which they did it, um, it really did feel like a radio serial. Um, and so the use of music and sound effects actually made more sense because it was a way of giving um, shape to the story, shape to the, um, to the, the episode um, yeah. and a way of creating atmosphere that, you know, you use music in, to effect because that's all you hear um, as opposed to, you know, a show where you can actually, you don't have to rely on sound at all because you can actually see the image. Mm. Um, so I think they were a lot cleverer. cleverer with the script um, and with um, sound um, and, with, you know, with what they could have done with the podcast compared to the um, the television series. Also, I think because because it was a podcast, you're spending a lot of time listening to conversations and that's actually how the whole podcast is kind of shaped. It's actually shaped around phone calls and messages, um, which are left on people's, you know, phone messages, which are left with people. Um so I thought that was that's what I found quite clever as well. So there was um, and so the mystery was Was there more
3: of a mystery because it doesn't have this, n- n- this sort of normal narrative? It's just yeah, okay. you're
1: right. Just, it just um, unfolds before you as you're listening to these phone calls people are making with one another, um, and then every now and then um, you will listen to you'd hear you know somebody fumbling, and then you realise oh they're getting into a car. Um, It's not told to you. And so you're meant, the mystery is as much about listening to the sound and wondering what the action is that that person is doing. Wow. Um, Yeah. And that's why I thought that was really clever because you're literally living that experience, but almost like you're as if you're blind. Um, And then you're listening to the sound to understand what the context is of that scene and where that person is when they're having that conversation. And, um, why that the person who's there, um, you know, the person they're speaking to is um, reacting a certain way. Um, so the story is kind of set out to to the listener in in that fashion. It's not sort of told in that traditional storytelling way, and so the mystery unfolds in that manner. Um, also, the mystery, um, even though the central mystery is the same, the ending is different. Oh, um, yes. Which I, that's another reason why I think the show is such a letdown, because the ending is so predictable. Um, Well, the ending isn't uh, really
0: that different, Max. I mean, that's not true, entirely true. Yes, it is. She
1: doesn't find Walter Cruz.
0: Oh, she doesn't doesn't find him, but he's still, he's.
1: Yeah, but she doesn't go on some journey and, you know, to go and find him and then find, you know, reaches out and has this kind of moment of. You know, it, it's not like that. It's more about um, the guilt and it's more about, um, I suppose, the, um, the the way in which people view one another um, through the lens of self-interest um, and different types of self-interest. You know, Heidi's self-interest in her career versus Colin's self-interest in just in his career as well. And then her feelings of guilt, Walter Cruz's feelings um, interest in kind of returning to his family. You, you get a lot more of that pathos from the podcast than you do in the um, in the TV show.
3: Mm. Um, they, they let her off the hook a bit, right? Because she goes on that journey and she cares so much and she sees him and he's okay. Yeah, whereas in the podcast she's not.
1: The guilt is with her for the rest of her life.
0: Yeah, so in the wow. podcast he just goes back to war, right? And that's it. That It ends basically with him going back to war or something, right?
1: He's redeployed and that's the end.
0: And that's the end, right? So basically, the experiment experiment is successful. So basically, the key difference in the TV show, really, is that that whole last episode where they have the whole, like, Colin running around and, like... Um, getting fired and all that, type- and her chasing after Walter in the countryside and all this type of stuff—that doesn't happen, right? The the ending of the podcast is much more, much bleaker in some ways, right? Like it, it, it kind of just leaves it on this. Well, this is, yeah. Um, I, I think there's
2: a, there's a strange there's a strange note in the ending of the TV show, and it's this. Um, at one point, whilst um, they're in session at the homecoming facility. Walter plays around with Hardy's uh, pen and turns it on a certain angle because it's 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 sort of para- it's sort of per it's sort of parallel with the desk, and then he sort of it sh- turns it on on its axis so it's sort of yeah. off center. And as he's talking to her in the cafe at the end, um, she uh, he he plays around with her cutlery, particularly. Um, her dessert spoon and turns it on its axis as well mm. and he noticed, she notices this right after he's left the diner and he's headed back towards his ute and she looks out the window with this sort of like look of amazement and I think what is implied or what is, imp- what is sought to be implied is the possibility that Walter Cruz actually remembers Heidi Bergman mm.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that's
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure why they, and and that's that's actually played as a sort of bit of a twist because there's a real look of shock on Julia Roberts' face, and then she <laughs> looks out the window to see him walking off towards his unit. <laughs> and. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but, but the thing about that is it could just be muscle memory, right? So he doesn't actually remember her, but
2: there's this yeah. It could be muscle memory. memory. But the thing is, the filmmaking performances suggest that there's more significance to it than yeah. that because of the shock of the shock of recognition yeah. on Julia's face. But so if not- it was just sort of insignificant muscle memory. Um, they it would just be some throwaway that to which the filmmakers attached no significance. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this is definitive. I just think they want to leave it open, the possibility. That Holland remembers her
3: about that, is even if he does remember her, who
0: the fuck cares? Oh my god, thank you. That's exactly what I was thinking.
1: I think what what made me um, I guess, attached to the story in the podcast compared to the series is, you actually do start to care about Walter Cruz. When you listen to the podcast, and that could just be because I find Oscar Isaac's voice mesmerizing. I
3: don't care about him as a character. I, of, of everybody, I care about him. It's mm. just it doesn't matter if he remembers her or not. Like, who cares? It literally has no significance. It has no emotional weight. So mm. he either remembers her and chooses not to engage with her and to go off and live his life, or he doesn't. Either way, don't really care.
0: I mean, either way, he's fine, right? The key thing (laughs) is that he's fine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Because you
1: imagine actually that that is about that scene is about Roberts and her redemption as opposed to Walter Cruz and his redemption. Yeah,
3: which is why it doesn't matter if he recognises her Mm. or
0: not. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Mm. I I think look, I think look, I agree with Max. I think the podcast works better, and it really is because that like as a podcast like basically the structure of the podcast in because it is literally just snippets of phone calls and conversations and that sort of thing you're forced to fill in the blanks so even though the core um the core like mystery is actually not that thrilling because you are going through this detective exercise of filling in the blanks it's much more engaging right on tv like I reckon, did you guys pick the twist pretty early? It's,
3: um, it's not the exact twist, but we knew they were drugging them and we knew they were doing something to them. And when the answer of, oh, they're deleting memories, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> I just spent the first four episodes going, this isn't Florida. They're not in Florida. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so like I I think actually a lot of it is the fact that the central mystery is kind of an okay mystery but it's not like an amazing oh my god it just blew my mind but as a podcast like it does kind of blow your mind because you're piecing more of it together right on tv you just see everything right there's you're not forced to act as much of a detective so yeah anyway so I, I think that's kind of why the podcast works and this this the tv series doesn't doesn't work as well. Um,
2: actually, yeah. I actually don't think it was even an okay mystery. I think it was a shit mystery. <laughs>
0: uh, I, 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 honestly
2: thought, I honestly thought it was just when when we found out when the big reveal is that they're re- deleting memories in or erasing memories in order to send these bugs back to war. I just thought that's shit. I mean, I got how completely underwhelming a, a mystery was that? It was. It wasn't even that mysterious. I mean, it really, I, I, and and sort of. You know, th- this show tried to tried to incorporate so many of these sort of themes that we get from from sort of more successful thrillers of the past. So, you know, the idea of sort of dicking around with the minds of soldiers—that's something stolen from the Manchurian Candidate. The idea of this sort of big bad corporation overseeing this entire exercise—that's stolen from the Parallax View. Um, the the, um, the 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 notion of the sort of um, this woman has forgotten what she's, you know, th- th- this woman who's forgotten the past and has to piece everything together. I mean, that comes from so many better thrillers in the past, and so and when it when it when it all adds up to this thoroughly underwhelming conclusion. Um, I, I actually th- I actually felt viscerally angry at the show. This is despite appreciating some of its technical proficiency. I think, you know, Sam Esmail, who's better known as the showrunner for Mr. Robot. Has a real eye for, um, for, um, crafting and compositions, um, with his, with his camera lens. And particularly in the first episode, there's one very impressive overhead shot that becomes a, a long tracking shot. Um, and, uh, it, but the thing is, you know, the, the, the reveal at the end was so, utterly lame and you know there were attempts at sort of foisting in bits of satire that that didn't work as well the the character of colin belfast i don't know how he's played in the podcast but the way bobby cannavale plays him and bobby cannavale is a very good good actor but the way cannavale plays him is as this complete corporate hack who's constantly stuck uh with his bluetooth with his bluetooth speaker in his ear having conversations with julia roberts um ignoring his child birthday party um, going so far as to have an affair with Julia Roberts for the pe- all all for the company, and you think to yourself, you know, th- there have been better they've been better satirical portrayals of um, the vices of corporate America. You know, this is this is a bit OTT, and it, it got to the point where the character of Colin Belfast became really annoying. Mm. So all in, you know, all in all,
3: and you know, at the end where he signs a confession, I'm like. Why is he signing that? Because they do not do a good job of making that corporation seem so powerful and so ominous and so evil and so scary that it would make someone like Colin just sign a confession and hand it over. They do not do a good job at that at all. And so when he does it, it is, like, baffling. Like, why? It's just annoying.
0: Mm, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing to add is that at the beginning of the podcast, Anagia, you talked about how um, basically PTSD, like uh, veterans dealing with trauma, that psychologically is a real thing, and obviously, um, you know, like how how do we deal with that, right? And the the show doesn't actually does do a very good job of really exploring that at all either, right? Like, it, it's kind of... I don't think they they really like sort of explore this idea of you know like whether like there's there's no sort of moral real moral exploration there there's no sort of exploration about the deeper psychological kind of issues that are at play it's just yeah like all of these things are kind of just skimmed over right so yeah. Look, overall, I felt this series was really kind of just bland. It, It felt like I was eating porridge, basically, right? Like, it's... You know, like... Oats are probably good for me, but like... They're not particularly interesting. <laughs> yeah. <it> just <laughs> Sorry, I just. That was a really odd metaphor <laughs> or analogy. <laughs> but, like, it, it literally. It actually felt like I was slogging through a bowl of porridge watching this TV series, right? It was just like. It's not very flavorsome. It's just kind of. Yeah. It was, it was just really bland. Really, really bland. Um, yeah. Is there anything else we kind of want to add to that? Oh, do we want to explore why it is that this thing is getting, like, such crazy publicity, right? Like, what what are other people's... Like, what is going on? Like, are we, like, just in crazy town right now? Because... <laughs> yeah. Because
3: even if it is people who watch the podcast and love that and so have a bias view, the two of you watch the podcast, then it hasn't affected your reasonable opinions of this, of this show, so I don't understand. I Has anyone read the reviews or, like, read, like exposed themselves so, to what's being said? So
1: I'm on on the Rotten Tomatoes website now, and the tomato meter is 99%, and the audience score, though, is 70%. Um, critic Consensus, an impressive small screen debut for Julia Roberts. Homecoming balances its haunting mystery with a frenetic sensibility that grips and doesn't let go. It does not,
2: mean? There is nothing frenetic about this show. I the know. only thing frenetic about this show is the speed with which I wanted to switch the TV off. <laughs> That's wow. the only thing. Okay. This show was so fucking boring. And the uh-huh. thing is, the thing is right. Critics have critics have been, I think, lured by just how. Technically impressive, the yes. show is. Um, They've been they're, they're impressed by the fact that this thing screams prestige TV. It's got a big name Hollywood star. In fact, it's got a couple of big name Hollywood stars. Not only is there Julia Roberts, Sissy Spacek. Yes, Spacek, yeah. Julia. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, that's, yeah, but think, that,
2: that's but everyone's. That, yeah, you look at that. You yeah. look at that. Two Oscar-winning actresses in this show, Sissy Spacing, in a relatively inconsequential role. And you're thinking, wow, this must be huge prestige TV. There's the fact that every episode is only half an hour long. That is half the length of your normal TV drama. It and felt so, so much longer. A lot of people thought this was innovative. This was innovative storytelling, compressing um, a TV drama into a half-hour episode. I actually thought that, in the end, it bespeaks the absolute weakness of the story. There was not enough story for this show. Yeah. It might have made an interesting hour and a half telemovie. movie. It was certainly not enough to fill up five hours of, uh, of of TV time. And the fact that every episode, even though it was only half an hour long, felt like a complete drag, rather suggests that this story was life limp was completely lifeless, limp, and just. Not en- well, wasn't enough to sustain the running length of the show, mm. a- and as I said before, the, you know, I think a lot of critics are impressed by the cleverness of elements of Sam Esmail's direction. Some of the visuals, the use of music—I think you know, critics critics would probably pat themselves on the back for spotting some of these allusions. Um, and and you know, this 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 is this stuff is catnip for for critics, particularly for critics who are. Who have a particular recollection of a particular style and an era of filmmaking. So I think they were all they were all attracted to that. And bear in mind, like Sam Esmail is hot property in TV land because Mr. Robot, though it's not the most uh, watched TV show out there, has gotten has you know had a great deal of critical acclaim, precisely for its tech. It's seen as being technically very well made and innovative in its visual storytelling you know the way shots are framed in mr robot was a very very big topic in season one of its run and so you combine all that um and there is just this failure to see that the emperor is entirely naked
0: yeah i think also you combine that with basically the fact that gimlet media is like this darling of sort of hipster podcasting and so you have this combination of kind of all these factors. You also have this, like, Amazon Prime is desperately trying to build up its catalog. I think Amazon Prime is desperately trying to get a win on the board. I'm sure Amazon Prime would have been wooing all of the TV critics on a show like this, right? To get them through the door, to have them write write positive stuff about it. Um, I mean, we know that this is not the first time Amazon Prime has used a podcast, as source material, they, they, like you look on Amazon prime, they've got law, right? Law was also originally a podcast and now they've kind of turned it into a TV series as well. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like a lot of the buzz on this has been, um, sort of cleverly sort of manicured and manufactured, right? Like as in manicured in the way, in the sense that they got like this director to film it in a very specific way. And then they got all these actors, blah, blah, blah. And then manufactured in the sense that, you know, we all know, I guess, I mean, it's just the nature of, like, sort of entertainment journalism now, right? Like, if you throw enough sort of attention on it, you throw enough money at it, people are going to take notice of it. And if it's kind of filmed in this way, like, even if it's not particularly entertaining, like, the more history style of um, review will say that this was a great, great TV series, which I, I definitely don't think it was. And it's also
3: bull cool because Julia Roberts, who I really like, was just average. Come on, she—it wasn't a great performance. It was—it was an average, It was a fine, average performance by Julia Roberts, and I really like Julia Roberts. So, you know, nothing on her. It just—it wasn't this stellar performance. It really wasn't.
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting though, like that, like increasingly what you see on Rotten Tomatoes, like, um. increasingly there are a lot of shows where there is this big gap between critical response and audience response, right? Like, Mm. I mean, we saw Venom where it was like, you know, when we podcasted Venom and then you look at the Rotten Tomatoes, it's like the inverse, right? Where you had really low critical response and like, you know, quite high audience response, right? So there's definitely like a disconnect between critics and audiences, right? Like, um, Mm. so, yeah, I'm not entirely sure... Like where we're going with that, but it's it's an interesting cool. phenomenon that's that's in, increasing.
3: I
1: wonder if um like who Gimlet Media was really or what are they called? Um, Gimlet um, Productions or something? Uh, Gimlet Films, sorry. Uh, Open oh, Gimlet Pictures. There we go. They called Gimlet Pictures. Whether or not they were making this series for the critics to build their credibility, or whether they were actually making it for, um, for a wider audience. Because mm. it'd be interesting to see what their next few shows are in the pipeline. Mm. You know, whether or not they're doing this to build credibility and then they'll expand further and do something that's more mass market.
0: Mm. Yeah, or whether this is, this is like Emmy bait, right? Like, yeah, I guess in the same yeah. way that there's Oscar bait, like this is classic sort of Emmy bait. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. Um is there anything else we want to say about this show? Okay. <laughs> guess, would we,
1: are we gonna watch season two?
0: How can there See, be, a season? Gonna be a season two? There's no way there's <laughs> a season two. It yeah. is! Yeah. They
1: were like they are actually they um it was funded for two seasons. How what? <laughs> That's outrageous! What <laughs> What? <At> night. <laughs> And it's just like a fetal position right
2: now. (laughs) 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 You know what I think? This really really throws up one of the dangers of the streaming era. There are so many streaming platforms, so many channels for the distribution of content, and there's so much um, desire on the part of those who administer these channels to fill up the content pipeline that they're just reaching for shit. I mean... Honestly, you know this this is a project that shouldn't have been greenlit. It it was they took a lot of very talented people and, and produced a product that was completely and utterly shithouse and soporific. Um, you know, this sort of everyone wants to be Netflix. Um, Netflix has this vast catalogue of content, a lot of it um, curated from elsewhere. But a lot of it also generated by, by, and produced by Netflix itself. itself. So everyone's taken a look at that model, and everyone's everyone's said, okay, we have to fill up our pipeline with as much content as possible. So you know, Amazon Prime is is has just has greenlit, as I understand it, um, a lot of the Rings show. So um, we're going to get you know sort of forty seasons of Tolkien, um, you know, and. Um, and it's going to be fucking boring because The Lord of the Rings is fucking boring, and 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 you know, a movie and a half, a good movie and a half does not equal like good television or good literature. Which is so you've got that to look forward to, and you you know you've got you've got the the um, the massive uh, Disney Fox deal, um, and so with Disney taking over Hulu, so there's going to be another stream. Of content uh, being fed into um, our sort of clogged arteries, and 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 it's a lot again. This desire to get a lot of content out quickly is, I think, um, diminishing the exercise and judgment on the part of those who greenlight these sorts of product uh, these sorts of projects. Uh, and, and the result is, you know, uh, a, a a lowering of the bar for the greenlighting of and an assessment and thorough examination of these sorts of projects, because everyone is afraid that Netflix is just going to swamp them. Mm. Um, so I, I think this this rather speaks of you know if if if, if anything is going to put an end to this so called golden era of prestige television, it's going to be the the fact that people are aiming to 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 get content out so quickly and, and, and to greenlight so many projects. That um, a lot of drop. We're going to have to tolerate a lot of dross in order to in order to find the gold.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, on that note, I would just like to let our audience know that Amazon Prime did not pay us, <laughs> and we, <laughs> we 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 are watching this as fully. <laughs> we are paying Amazon Prime. In fact, we are paying them because we pay for our subscriptions of Amazon Prime to watch this show. So, you can trust that this is an honest opinion of Homecoming. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining me tonight to have a chat about Homecoming. Um, Quite a contrarian view. Um, Yeah, next week, I think we'll be back with hopefully next week, I I think next week we'll be back and we will be back. We'll probably be talking about a movie next week. So thanks very much for for listening and um, we'll see everybody soon. Bye everybody.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.
2: Adios.